Uh, good morning and welcome to Alpine Church. My name is Chris. Uh, I'm one of the teachers here and uh, I'm excited to be with you here uh, today. We are right at the very beginning of our series uh, where we're going uh, through some of the Old Testament passages that maybe uh, as we grew up in church or maybe we didn't even grow up in church, maybe we've read the Bible, we've just kind of passed over some of these stories. And so if you may have missed uh, some of these things that we've been talking about, you would begin to see hopefully that as you dig into the Word of God, uh, that you would see that it's living, that it's active, and that there are so many things, things that have happened that God did to prove his faithfulness and his worthiness to us. And so last week we, we looked at just this really uh, kind of small six-verse story uh, that we saw in Numbers chapter 21, right, where uh, Moses was leading his people and, and they were grumbling and complaining and, and God saved them from this difficult thing that he actually brought upon them, right? It was the, the snakes, the venomous snakes that were kind of uh, biting at them and God said, if you would do this, if you would put this serpent on a pole and you would look to that, you would be saved. Now that just seems like a a crazy thing, right? Well, we know that there was more to just that story. In case you missed it, we know that was a picture of the gospel that we saw, uh, it, that we see and that we are able to read in the New Testament. And so what we're going to do today is we're actually going to go one chapter, believe it or not, we're going to go one chapter from that story that we just read in Numbers chapter 21, and we're going to be hanging out in Numbers chapter 22, and we're going to uh, look at the story of this guy named Balaam and his talking donkey. Now, before you get up and leave, I promise you it's in the Bible in case you missed it. Uh, we're going to read together today, and we're going to jump right in the story. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Numbers chapter 22. Uh, maybe you have the Bible app. You can bookmark that. I would encourage you uh, to go home after the message today to dig into Numbers chapter 22 into, uh, all the way into Numbers chapter 25, which is what we're going to be uh, reading through today. Uh, maybe get into a small group or into a mentoring relationship and unpack what we're going to be talking about today. Okay, let's jump right in together in Numbers chapter 22, and we're starting in verse 1. It says this, Then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan River across from Jericho. Balak, son of Zippor, the Moabite king, had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites. And when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. Okay, let's just kind of bring you up to speed uh, to where we're at in this story. Remember, if you were here last week, this might be a little bit of a recap. Moses is leading his people uh, out of the exodus of Egypt. Uh, they're in a time of wandering. They're not quite in the promised land uh, because of their disobedience, uh, because of their grumbling attitude. So God was uh, kind of teaching them some things, preparing them to enter into the promised land. And so what we're reading about right here is they are about ready. They're finally there. They're almost to the promised land. And so God says, I want you to enter in to this place, and I want you to take a specific route. And so as they're being obedient to God, and they're on this route, they're on this journey, we see that they uh, encounter some battles. Now, you might be thinking, well, man, can the Israelites catch a break, right? It's, it's, it's slavery. Uh, it's then venomous snakes. Anybody in here like snakes? None of us like snakes. Good, don't raise your hand, right? They're, they're, they're killing them. And then now, here they are, and they're going to the promised land, and they are met with people who want to have war with them. And we see not only once, but twice, the Israelites, with the power of God, defeat these armies, 
And so as they're continuing on in their journey, there's uh, this guy named Balak who is the king who is the king of Moab, and he sees this people, and you can almost guarantee that word is getting around that these Israelites are the real deal, right? That, that, that something's going on with them, that they're powerful, and it's obviously because God is with them. And so Balak is afraid, and not just afraid, afraid. It says here in the passage that they were all very terrified because they had heard of what they just did in these two wars, and so Balak, as the king, he's scrambling, he's scrambling to come up with a plan on what to do. Now, we can't make this up. Listen to what he decides to do in verse 5. It says, Balak, the king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor. Balak says, look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth, and they're threatening me. He says, please, come and curse these people for me because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I'll be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless and curses fall on any people you curse. Now, I have to pause here for a moment because like of all the things that he can do in planning on, on what to do, He's going to hire a diviner. He's going to hire a sorcerer to bring a, a, a curse upon his people. It's not like, hey, listen, this, this army's coming after us. Let's gather up our troops and be prepared for war. That's maybe logical, right? Or, hey, let's retreat because they just defeated everybody, right? No, what he says is, I'm going to hire this guy, Balaam, to come and put a spell on these people. Is that crazy or what? Maybe he was desperate, and so what we read is that he calls out to Balaam, who is known, internationally known, as a diviner. Now, a diviner uh, for us is someone who, uh, you know, kind of reads into the future. A diviner is someone that has the ability to uh, bring blessings and curses on people. It has the ability to speak with the gods. And, and this might seem a little weird for us, but this was common in this time. And so Balak says, man, I'm desperate. I want this guy, Balaam, to come and to, to bring curses on these Israelite people. And so, you know, we, we stop here at the story and we think, okay, well, it isn't, wouldn't a diviner be evil, right? They're summoning spirits like they're trying to communicate with the gods. You know, so this, this guy must be an evil guy. But here's what, I, what we need to understand about Balaam. He, too, had the ability to communicate with God. In fact, God spoke directly to Balaam on multiple occasions. And so what we see is the king sends his messengers, and as the messengers are going to get Balaam to, to bring him to curse his people, God reveals himself to Balaam and says, listen, who are these men that are coming? And he said, well, they're here because they want me to do this. And God said to him very clearly, do not go with these men. So Balaam said, okay, God, you spoke. I'm not going to go. So he sends them back. And when Balak gets word of this, he's not very happy because he said, I, I need this guy to come. He's the best diviner. He's the best guy who can bring blessings and curses. So then he gets another group of more distinguished guys, maybe the inner group, and he says, I want you to go back. And this time, what I want you to do is I want you to say there is no limit on what kind of funding we'll give him. You know, we're going to give him all the money that he wants, that he asks for. He names the price, we're gonna give it to him. And so these messengers, it says, they go back to, to Balaam, and they say, Balaam, blank check. 
come and do this, please, for the king. And Balak says, there's not an amount of money in the world that would, uh, would stop me from going against the will of God. And then he pauses for a moment, and he says, blank check? <laughs> what? Man, I can name my price? Nope, but I can't do this because, because God said it, but, but maybe, just maybe, maybe if I go back to God, that, that he'll have something to say to me. And so what he tells these messengers is he says, listen, stay over one more night. I'm going to go to God, and we're going to see what he does. And the Bible says that God came back to Balaam, and he said, go with these men, but do only what I ask you to do. You know, it's interesting to me that we look at this story and we see a diviner who is almost going back and forth with God. <laughs> you know, God is telling him to do something and he's listening, but then in his mind, can you just begin to imagine what the pole of the world might have been like? Finances, a blank check. I mean, this is whatever price I want to pay or to be paid. Like, so we see this back and forth, this bartering with the Almighty God. And, and when I read this, I think about myself and I think, man, I'm, Balaam's not the only one that does this. I think that there are things in my life where I've said, okay, God, is this the right way? Are you sure? God, maybe this way, my way, might be the right way to go. And so what we do, we read in this story something that I want to pull out of it even before we jump into the talking donkey. And this, this I think, is something that God was speaking to me in my heart when I was preparing for this message, and, and I felt like it's something that I wanted to share with everyone else. Maybe, maybe it's for you as well, but, but here's what I want us to understand. When it comes to a relationship with God, when it comes to a, a genuine, authentic relationship with God, our actions speak louder than our words. Our actions speak louder than our words. You know, I, I think when we look at Balaam, he said all the right things about God. In fact, he listened to God. He said, God is powerful. What God has said, I will not go against. There's not any money in the world that can get me to go against God. But the pull of the world was so strong that he didn't really line up with what he was saying. In fact, he tried to convince God to do something di different. You know, there's one point in verse 18, if you read this week, it says that Balaam even called God the Lord my God. So even though he was involved in something very evil perceived, he still had an understanding and a knowledge of God. You know, I think what, what happened is that, that the pull of life and money and fame being internationally known and well-known, I think those things trumped his relationship with the living God. I think his actions were one way, and what he was saying was something different. You know, I, again, I think about this in my own life. I mean, I think there are things that I have done in my life where I've said, God, I am a fully devoted follower of you. You are my everything. You are my savior. You are God to me. But then my lifestyle maybe isn't lining up with that. You know, in the way that I've acted in relationships, the way that I've acted, you know, in being a husband or being a dad where I've failed miserably, you know, and, and just saying, God, that there are certain parts of my life that I want to give you, but this one, this part's mine. You know, this thing that I'm doing or this thing that I'm going after, this thing that, that, that is important to me, I've worked so hard at, God, and I don't want to give that up. But even though I love you and I want to have a relationship with you, there's that one thing, God, that I just want to hold on to. You know, I think that we can be in a relationship with God verbally, but when it comes to really the rubber meeting the road, 
that we have a, a tendency to put ourselves above God. And I think the story of Balaam gives us a good picture that a relationship with God is more than just saying the right things. It's, it's living a life that is God-honoring in everything that we do. You know, it, it didn't matter what God said. Balaam was going to go his own way. I think he had it made up in his mind what he was going to do. And so God let him go, but he wasn't happy about it. And here's what I want us to see, that even though God let him go, he wasn't done with Balaam. In fact, I don't think he's done with us either, and that's really our next point, that God, God is fighting for our attention. God is fighting for our attention, and he will literally do whatever it takes. Friends, can we just celebrate the fact right now that, that we should be grateful that God doesn't give up on us when we're caught in the midst of our sin? Can we get an amen there? Right? Can we thank God that, that he does not hold our sin against us, that he doesn't judge us and condemn us and say, that's it? No, instead what he does is he makes a way, and he does things to get our attention because he wants us to be in relationship with him. And see, that's exactly what we see here. We pick up the story. It says, the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a, a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat the donkey and turned it back onto the road. What's so interesting about this story is we read this happened three times. So what's so bizarre here is that a diviner, someone who is known to be someone who can channel the spirit, someone who just had a conversation with God, he was so spiritually blind that he couldn't see the angel of the Lord, but a donkey could. And in the midst of all of that, he got angry because the donkey was taking him off of his path. And so God was getting his attention. And it says that he got angry and he started beating. Now, for those of you who are animal lovers, this is not a very PETA-friendly story, okay? Right? So don't be mad at me. Just let's be mad at Malam or Balaam, right? I mean, he's the one beating the donkey, right? All dogs go to heaven. I'm sure donkeys do too. Cats, cats don't. They're evil. They're from the devil. <laughs> Cat lovers, we'll pray for you. But, but listen, let, let's see what happens here in, in verse 28. It says, then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. <laughs> what have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times? It asked Balaam. You made me look like a fool. Can you just begin to imagine what's going on here? <laughs> Balaam shouted, if I had a sword with me, I would kill you. But I'm the same donkey that you've ridden all your life. The donkey answered, have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. So God not only gave the donkey the ability to see in the spiritual realm, but he also gave him the ability to speak. Now, I, I can't help, uh, because I grew up in, in the, the 90s and the 2000s, I can only help but think of this, right? Like when I read this story. Like, that'll do donkey, right? Like, this is the kind of conversation that he's having. This isn't the Shrek donkey, this is actually the real donkey that he's talking to, and it's like, man, this is, this is real. I mean, this is happening. And, and listen, this is what he was doing. God was fighting for Balaam's attention. And not only was he fighting for Balaam's attention, but the way that he was going to get Balaam's attention was to have this happen, the supernatural happen. Now, here's what's so crazy. 
Balaam was talking to God. How many, if you audibly heard from God in a normal conversation, would that be enough for you? Everybody should raise their hand, right? And, and that wasn't enough. So what it, what it took was this. Not this, but really this. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is what it took. And here's what happened. Listen to what happened. This is, this is so amazing to me that God didn't stop at anything. He did something ridiculously miraculous because he knew that he had something for Balaam. And listen to what happened. It says, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. He was spiritually blind, and now he opens his eyes. And it says, he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. And it says this, that Balaam bowed down to the angel of the Lord, his head, and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord said. Look, I have come to block your way. Please listen to this, because I think this speaks to a lot of us, not just Balaam. I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Isn't that the way of sin? When we go our own way... Even when God has made a way, we go our own way and we're stubborn and we're selfish and it's all about us. He says, listen, I want to change your direction. I want to change your path. And it goes on to say, three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would have certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, and this is important. When God called him out, he confessed. He said, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you are going, or if you are go against my going. But the angel of the Lord told Balaam, go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. Friends, as crazy as this story is, would you please see the richness? Would you see the depth of what this means? This is a diviner that God would, would get in touch with a, a diviner who was channeling other spirits but he loved him so much that he wanted to get his attention because the, the life that he was living was not a God-honoring life. And so not only did he do an individual thing with Balaam where he said, listen, what you're doing is wrong. I've allowed you to try to coerce me. I've allowed you to try to do whatever you want to do. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the living God. I want to open your eyes spiritually. And would you respond? And in your response, what would happen? And he says this, I have sinned. I have sinned. You know, God could have easily done what the angel of the Lord said he was going to do. I could have killed you three times. But you know, God is sovereign. He loves us so much that he wants us to repent and to turn back to him. And now what he's going to do is he's going to use this diviner, and he's going to get the attention of, of Balak and the king. He says, go with these men, but do only what I'm telling you to do. Now, here's what I want us to see. If God is willing to do this, with a diviner, uh, what that means is he's willing to do just about anything. So, so wherever you're at in your journey, whatever sin you're involved in or whatever decision that you've made or whatever relationship that you're in or whatever is going on, God loves you so much that he wants you to turn to him. And as we turn to him, as we live to honor him, he'll change our lives. And so would we stop being so stubborn and when we look to God and when we say, God, I want to turn my attention to you. You're fighting for my attention. And when I do, God, would you reveal yourself so clearly to me? Would I repent and say, God, I'm going my own way. I now want to go yours. And when I do that, God, would you guide my path? Second part of the story, and I, and I love this. I think Balaam shows us this, that God is sovereign. 
God can do whatever he wants to do with whomever he wants to do it with at any time that he wants to do it. Even with a donkey, even with a diviner, even in the miraculous. God is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. There is none like God. He has the ability to do anything he wants to do. And here's what I want us to see. He will always fulfill his promises. You know, despite our brokenness and our sin, God is going to be faithful to us. Despite Israel's grumbling and complaining and brokenness and sin, God was faithful to his promise because what God says, he cannot go against. And God said early on in Genesis, he said, I'm going to bless my people. And so he is going to be faithful to that promise. Let's pick up the story. Uh, the story, Numbers twenty-two thirty-eight. I don't have the slide, but it says, Balaam replied, look, now I have come, but I have no power to say whatever I want. I will speak only the message that God puts in my mouth. And so what happens is he comes in and, and Balak is waiting. Okay, it's time to the, do the curse. And, and Balaam says, wait a minute. I just had the most crazy experience. He probably didn't tell him because he probably wasn't going to believe it, right, as a talking donkey. But, but something happened to him. It changed his life. And so now he says, I cannot do this. I am not going to do this. And Balak is like, well, wait, wait, what is going on? And what we see for the next two chapters, go back and read it in chapter 23 and chapter 24, moving into the beginning of chapter 25, we see that God uses Balaam to remind Balak and to remind Israel of his promises. There's actually four of them. We're going to have to fly through this very quick, but I think this is so important because this shows us that God is sovereign and will always fulfill his promises. And what we see in this is Balaam's prophecies. When he comes back and he's going to be talking to Balak, what he says lines up with what God has already said. Friends, if you have any question on the word of God, if you have any question on the consistency of God, on the inerrancy of Scripture, all you have to do is read. Read in Genesis and see here in Numbers. Read in Numbers chapter 21 that God made a way for his people to be saved. And then read John 3.16 where Jesus actually did those things. What God says in his word, he always will fulfill. And this is evidence of that. In Numbers chapter 23... As he's coming down to give a prophecy to the people, he says, but now, how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those whom the Lord has not condemned? And what he does is he reminds them of a promise in Genesis chapter 13. He says, who can count Jacob's descendants as numerous as the dust? Do you remember when, when God was speaking to Abram? And he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your descendants more than the dust. That's God's faithfulness coming into fruition. He's reminding them of that promise that God cannot go against this promise. God is not going to curse his people. He's going to bless them. We read in Numbers 23, listen, I receive a command to bless. God has blessed. And I cannot reverse it. No misfortune is in his plan for Jacob. No trouble is in store for Israel. For the Lord their God is with them. Back in Genesis chapter 17, God said to Abram, and he changed his name to Abraham. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be the Lord your God. And what he's saying is nothing can come against the plan of God. You see, friend, that's the faithfulness of God. We go on to see the third, the third time. Balak is getting angry at this point. Go read the story. He's getting angry. Why are you cursing them? What are you doing? Why? And he continues to go on and to, to prophesy. And this one is extremely special because the, the Bible says here 
in, in Numbers chapter 23 or 24 that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And it was right before he had a vision. And, and what, when I read into this, I think, okay, well, if this is a diviner, someone who, who was able to do visions and dreams and, and cast lots and, and do curses and blessings, well, shouldn't he be able to just do this automatically? Well, for me, that shows that the, only the power of God can give visions, can prophesy. Only the power of God can read in. And so what he says, this is the message of one who sees a vision from the Almighty, who bows down with eyes wide open, you know where that's coming from? It was when he bowed down when, his spirit, when the Lord opened up his eyes. When he opened up his eyes when he was with the donkey. It says, how beautiful are your tents, O Jacob. How lovely are your homes, O Israel. And what he's doing is he's prophesying into the future. The promise in Genesis chapter 12 that they will enter into the promised land, that they will be a great people, that they will thrive and flourish. This is what he's saying. How lovely are your homes, O Israel. God will bless you. God is going to move you into the promised land. I think we see, we save the, the, la, the last of his prophecies, which is the most important to us, and that's a prophecy of Jesus. He says, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future, a star will rise from Jacob. A scepter, a scepter is almost like the Savior, will emerge from Israel. And we just lost power, it looks like. But it goes on to say in Genesis chapter 49, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming one, to the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. You see, he was reminding them of the promise of what would come, that God promised them that even in Genesis chapter three, when sin entered the world, God had a plan, and that plan was always Jesus and that it would come out of a certain lineage, and that lineage would then put him into royalty, and that he would die without sin on a cross. And you see, that's the faithfulness of God, that God said this was going to happen, and we see, we know the end of the story because we have the word of God. The Bible says that he came into this world, he took upon all the sin of humanity, shame, guilt, all of it, he took it upon himself, and he died in the most horrible way, he did it on the cross, and he did that so he could get our attention, so that we could be in relationship with the God who created us, to be in relationship with him. Friends, the faithfulness of God. God is sovereign. God will always fulfill his promises. You know, this is what I love about the Bible, that I can look at this, and this isn't an, a, a, some obscure story. In fact, this is much deeper than that. This is God saying, listen, I have made these promises years before. I will not go against these promises. And it says that I, I will fulfill them. And he gives us a picture of what's to come. If you have not experienced this God, he wants to be in relationship with you. I'd love to share with you how easy it is to start a life-changing relationship with him today. Let's end with this. I mean, I think this is uh, much like what happened <laughs> last week, right, where God provided a way, God was faithful, but then the people, they went their own way again. They had a tendency to fall into sin again. And we see something really similar in this story, because listen, God isn't the only one that has a plan for us. God isn't the only one that has a plan for us. There's a, a very real enemy of God, and his name is Satan, and he also has a plan. The enemy, his plan will, will never stop. He's never going to stop trying to curse God's people. You know, 
what we see is that God, or Satan wanted to use Balaam to bring a curse on God's people. But God actually used Balaam to bring blessing upon people. You know, Jesus said this. He said that there is a very real enemy, and his name is Satan. And the thief, his purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. But the purpose of God, my purpose, is to bring life, a rich and satisfying life. You see the contrast. There's sin and evil and death, and there is life that comes in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying. And here's what I want you to know is that Balaam didn't have the ability to curse God's people, but he didn't stop, and the enemy didn't stop using Balaam. In fact, what we read is in chapter 25, as, as Balak, or, or Balaam has gone away, we read this. It says, while the Israelites were camped, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with local Moabite women. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods, so the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. In this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. What does this have to do with Balaam? Well, if you read in Numbers chapter 31, what we just read right there, in Numbers 31 it says, these are the very ones who followed Balaam's advice. They followed Balaam's advice and caused the people of Israel to rebel against the Lord at Mount Peor. They are the ones who caused the plague to strike the Lord's people. The same Balaam who had just experienced God, not only audibly through his voice, but then as the angel of the Lord is before him, opening his eyes spiritually, talking to him through a donkey, like all three of those things I wish that I had every single day. Even the donkey. It'd be weird, but I wish I had it, right? It would change a lot of things. But he had that. And still, do you know what happened? The pull of the world. The pull of sin. The way of living was so strong that he went back. That he went back into it. He went back into the world, even though he had met the living God, even though his life had been changed, even though he repented of his sin, he went back because the pull was so strong. Revelation 2.14, it, it talked about this, but I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. You know, he couldn't curse them, but he could use culture. He couldn't, he couldn't bring a curse upon them, but he could use the world around him. I think that the money part of it, maybe it played a piece in this where he went back and maybe bartered again. I don't know what happened, but what we read is that he went back to the old ways. And you see, I think this is for some of us in this room. I know it's for me. What we need to understand is that when God wants to do something so powerful in our life, there is a very real enemy, and he wants to defeat that plan that God wants us to do. And so he is going to use whatever it takes to pull you away from his plan. Sin of the world, temptation of finances, idols before him. It could be a relationship. Oftentimes it can be good things. But will we stand firm and will we say, the life-changing, transforming work that has happened to me, would that be enough? And would I elevate God above my life, above all other things? Because here's the thing, friend. When we say yes to God, we have the ability to overcome. It says this in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 3, but the Lord is faithful. He's always faithful. 
He's always faithful. He will strengthen you and he will guard you from the evil one. You know, life isn't easy. We're going to sin. We're going to trip up. But we don't have to live in a life of sin. Instead, we can live in a life of grace and mercy so that when we, in the midst of our shortcoming and our sin, we can go to the cross and we can say thank you. And what I remember of your goodness and your faithfulness to me, and when that draws back to God and not the world. Would we see the, the richness in this story, that God will do anything to get our attention, that he is always faithful, he's sovereign to his promises, and that he wants us to understand that he died for our sins forever so that we would not be pulled away by them every single day, but instead we would be drawn to him and the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that it's living and active. I thank you that it transforms us, Lord God. I thank you that we read stories like this where even a guy who is perceived to be wicked and evil, you, you stopped it just about nothing to get his attention. God, I, I pray that we would be the kind of people that maybe we need to get out of the way. Maybe you've put something in our way to block the road. Maybe you're wanting us to do something other than what we're doing. God, whatever that might be, would you draw us nearer to you? But God, mainly would you help us to see that even in the midst of our going our own way, which we do every single day, that you made a way to not have our sin be held against us, but instead, God, that our sin would be forgiven every single time. And let that not be what would cause us to just live freely in sin, but instead, God, would it change our life to see that you in us, the power of the Holy Spirit, changes us and causes us to live differently. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Today, uh, it's, the, it's the, the first Sunday of the month, and so we're going to have the opportunity to take communion together. And man, I can't think of a, a better story to think like God made a way so that we could be forgiven. His faithfulness fulfilled. Uh, uh, he didn't just say, I love you, but he demonstrated his love for us. John 3.16, God demonstrated his love for us, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. The Bible says that we get to remember what he did on the cross. And when we remember, would it change the way we live? And so right now, we're about ready to, to sing this last song together. If you haven't gotten one of these, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've put your faith in him, and you want to partake in communi communion with us, remembering the goodness and the faithfulness of God, would you, as you feel led, join us uh, in this time of worship together? Let's pray. God, thank you again for your son and for your sacrifice. Thank you that you stopped at nothing to be in relationship with us. God, as we take this in remembrance, would we in repentance say, God, we have gone our own way, but because of your body that was broken and your blood that was shed, God, as we partake in communion, that this would be a remembrance of you. We love you, God, and we're so grateful, eternally grateful. In the name of Jesus, we pray.